And, hey, we're live. We're here at Film Trooper Presents Film Marketing Fridays. And I get to select over here. I think my face shows up. There I am. I'm Scott McMahon. I'll be your host today. But I finally have two filmmakers at the same time on this show. It took a while, but we finally got somebody. We've got the lovely Jennifer Fisher, who we have been talking for a while on Sherry Candler's uh, Google Plus um, community, going back and forth. And, uh, and you guys are actually headed up here to Portland, Oregon, where I'm up. It's funny, you're coming up the, the week that I'm leaving. i got to go out of town. <laughs> Miss each other. Nice, definitely. But it sounds like you got a good crew in place and should be a good experience uh, next week for this. If you want to share everybody what you're, what you're working on. Sure, we're um, shooting a pilot episode for a web series that we'll be doing that focuses on solitary confinement. So it's, but it's narrative. It's not, it's not a documentary. It's a narrative project to really take a more gritty, real look at prison and kind of the orange is the new black, which started that process. But this is a much more intense look because its focus is on solitary confinement. So we're going to be up shooting at the Wapato Gel in the Oregon area, and we're really excited to get the pilot episode and then launch a campaign about the project. Definitely. And you can back a little bit because the prior project you guys worked on, you get a little bit of background of that one too? Sure, yeah. So our latest project, it's the film is called Smuggled. It's a feature-length film. It's available right now on Amazon, and we are even giving it away. So if you... Find me on Twitter, Andy Jen Fisher, and you message me. I want to get smuggled. I'll tell you how to get it for free. But we, um, it's a film that tells the story of a nine-year-old boy and his mother being smuggled into the U.S. So, again, a narrative story that pulls from the headlines and kind of looks at the human behind the issues. So you get to see the people behind these issues that are discussed so heavily. Um, and we did great on the film festival circuit and got some good media coverage of the project and decided to self-distribute, and we've been really happy with that process, so you know, we're just trying to get people to see the film, and and now to you know be in production again on another project is really exciting. Very cool. Um, for those of you who get a chance to see it, the um, the performances are really good. So yeah, um, yeah that was definitely um, definitely worth watching just because of like you what you were able to pull out. Or um, now is it Ramon or Raymond? Ramon, Ramon Hamilton okay. wrote and directed that, and he wrote and directed The Solitary Project. And actually, Denise Vaughn, the lead from Smuggled, is coming back and working with us on Solitary. And, you know, we had such a great experience with her, and everybody has praised her work. So we said, hey, do you want to go up to Portland and do this? And she said, absolutely. So we're excited to have her back. Anybody that's an indie filmmaker knows when you find actors you like, you work with well, you can rely on and you're working on limited budgets, you want to work with them again <laughs> because it's not always so easy to find. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Great. So, um, and then we have this um, other filmmaker way up from Vancouver. Is that correct? And he is Patrick. How do you pronounce your last name? McBrady? Yeah, McBrady. That's pretty close, actually. And I'm from Toronto. Toronto. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. So what time is it there in Toronto, then? I'm uh, bad at my... I got um, 8.01, my time, p.m. Okay, okay, so definitely on the East Coast. Now, it's interesting. So, you know, Patrick and I have been talking uh, via Twitter a lot. And, you know, Patrick just came out with uh, his crowdfunding campaign for his movie called The Door. And you can find that at the uh, doormovie.com. Um, and I wanted to sort of show a little bit of that. So bear with me, you guys. I'm going to uh, cross over to the screen and um, go over to... Um, where are we? 
maybe this screen. <laughs> okay, hold on here. So we do that. So you've got this. Can you guys see this? I don't know what I'm looking at. There you go. Yeah, I can see it now. Okay. So uh, this is the Indiegogo campaign for your movie, Patrick, The Door. Yeah. And it looks really good, by the way. And you, and I recommend everybody checking it out because your um, sort of pitch video is clever and it's it's engaging. And right off the bat, you know, you're, what, two days in or something like that, and you get about 27% of your funding. Um, yeah. And the, yeah, and the film is and the film is finished, but yeah. you just you need the extra finishing funds to make it a real horror film, and um, yeah, it's it looks really good, and you did a really good job, and I'm I'm excited to to see the development of it and get it all finished. Um, and those of you, I'm going to switch real quick since we're in the screen. Um, this is Jennifer and uh, Ramon's picture called Smuggled, um, and you can find it at Think Tank. Forgive me, I can't speak English. Ten Media Group dot com. Think ten ten Media Group dot com, and you'll be able to find all the uh, accolades and see the trailer. Um, if I try to play a trailer here, it might kind of sound funny. But anyhow, so the cool thing about your movie, um, since this is Film Marketing Fridays, Patrick, you wanted to know um, sort of like comps. Let me see yeah. if I pop up here. And it's actually a really great question because, you know, the world of real estate, I'm going to throw up this screen share so you don't have to see my face. Um, here we go. Share. This takes a little, it's cumbersome, but it works. Okay. <laughs> so, so building real comps. And so I wanted to kind of address this with your film in particular. Um, you know, so in the real estate world, yeah, they call it the comps or comparables. And really how that works, obviously, is if you're going to uh, sell a home, you need to, f or, you know, buy a home, you kind of need to know, the realtor needs to, to do the most accurate set of that particular house matching up with other houses of almost the same square footage, um, almost like the, um, the year it was built, uh, almost the same amenities, um, all these types of things to get the most accurate comparable. And a lot of times in film, we should be doing the same thing, but we don't. And now we, but we can do the same thing with films, but it's hard. It actually takes. It was really hard because what what you're asking for is like, okay, how do I find comparables for my film, The Door, um, which is you don't have any, you know, formal uh, or official sort of distribution company in place or distribution deal in place yet. Um, there's no particularly notable stars in it just yet. One of them could, you know, blow up any time. But so you have to take all those things in account. And to find accurate information online to see, you know, how much a budget was for a particular film and then how much they made in revenue on online di doing digital sales is really tough. So I, I'll show you what I did to do, do my best assessment of a comp. So obviously it's not perfect, but I'll, we'll explore how we can do this. So the next one, what's my, oh, so let's explain VOD, IVOD, EST. We kind of use this sort of, People have been throwing around the word VOD as video on demand um, as sort of like a catch-all. But really, in the professionals, the way they break it down is like video on demand is actually through a cable set-top box. So the deals that you make with a cable um, set-top uh, company, that's a different thing. That's like the on-demand, like Comcast or Time Warner or whatever it is. And you have to have your E&O e insurance in place. You have to have a bunch of other things in place just to be on that platform. 
to work with a to get the numbers through a cable uh, video on demand. Then there's another category called IVOD, which is Internet Video on Demand, which is Netflix, HBO Go, etc. And and then there's the other one called EST, which is actually the electronic sell-through, like iTunes. And the good thing right now is that um, uh, I, I believe I believe Netflix still requires you to have E&O insurance. And again, why that's important because it can be anywhere from you know three thousand, five thousand, nine thousand dollars. Uh, Ed Burns is famous for his film, The Newlyweds, where he said he shot it for nine thousand dollars because that's what the E&O insurance cost. You know. So you can even make a film for less than that because of the insurance issue, um, but I believe iTunes is not doesn't require um, E&O insurance. I, I couldn't find the accurate information, but most aggregators that you would pay an aggregation company to get onto iTunes or so on are, are not requiring that, but they are requiring uh, captioning uh, subtitles. So those are the sort of the terms. So VOD is really cable. IVOD Internet Video is like Netflix, uh, HBO, and electronic sell-through is when you download uh, a purchase, is really like iTunes and so on. So you have your movie, The Door. It's written by your, you know, Mr. Patrick McBrady. I can't say your last name. <laughs> McBrady. <That's all> right. <laughs> well, as you say it, say it again. Uh, I just pronounced it Patrick McBrady. McBrady. Just call it Patrick. It's all good, man. It's all good. Now, is it Irish? What is that? Yes. What's the? Oh, I yes. love it. Did you see how I did like a, a really bad sort of a lucky charm impersonation? It was terrible. Yeah, yeah, right. I did. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so then this one is uh, thedoormovie.com, which is perfect. You must have been stoked that you were able to find the that URL. You know. I was. Yeah. The only thing I had trouble finding was uh, the Twitter name. I couldn't get it. it was, somebody had done it a couple years ago and never really used it, and there's like three followers, and I just couldn't get in contact with the guy. So. But yeah, I really have to find the movie.com. Okay, okay. All right, so I want to show you this comp. I found this film called Darkroom. Um, and, you know, this actually, because I was just thinking, like, okay, you have your movie, The Door, um, and you have, like, this movie, Darkroom. It's like a horror thriller, you know. But if you look at it, it was actually, it got distribution by Phase 4. Okay, so right off the bat, it's not an accurate 100% comp. Like, but I said, it's almost impossible, difficult to find data for those, you know, truly, truly independent filmmakers unless they're just handing it out on their website. You know, like this is how much it costs, this is how much we're making. You know, um, and they had no theatrical on this particular film, so there was no like no, nothing you could find on Box Office Mojo or anything like that. But this particular film. But to this date, what I was able to find out on the, the entire time it's been released on uh, digital, on electronic sell-through and VOD, is that they had about 200 transactions so far, you know? And that means that revenue to today's state, they've only made like $900. So that's, <laughs> not to say, not to say they probably, maybe they're making some money on DVDs because I don't have that information, but this is a strictly if you're just going straight to... Uh, like iTunes, which is this is this is on iTunes, and sort of this is how much how many transactions they you know garnered. So you make you know 200 times three four dollars. That's how you know what's going on here. However, I want to show you another comp. This film is called I Am a Ghost. It looks really cool, by the way, if you see it. It's like an homage to the old 70s sort of um, uh, horror films of like Kubrick and um, you know Polanski and that kind of stuff. 
Um, it has a very stylistic approach to it. But this was also picked up by distribution, by Gravitas, and had no theatrical release, but it had a really good film festival run. So it was winning all these awards via film festivals. And to this date, this particular film has about 4,000 transactions and is revenue about $25,000. But here's the thing about all this stuff. Um, we do the cost breakdown for iTunes. <clears throat> Say you pay like an aggregator like distributor. They charge like a flat fee for $1,600 to do the quality assurance uh, testing on your file to make sure that uh, it's up to iTunes spec. That's all they do. They just make sure that you know that your 5.1 is in, in order, that your you know that it's not clipping, that your your HD files, uh, M, your MPEG4 files all together working, all that kind of stuff, and they'll throw iTunes, and you got to wait like six months or something to see whether or not it gets approved, and it's part of the you know part of the marketplace. But you probably won't get any front page display, you know when you you know you might see some new noteworthy maybe for like a week or two, um, but most of those are reserved for those who have some sort of distribution connection to some extent. So imagine you had to pay sixteen hundred dollars plus you needed captioning subtitles. You could do that manually or pay like. Eight hundred, nine hundred dollars to get that done professionally. Um, iTunes takes like thirty percent of the sales. A distributor like Gravitas or Phase Four may take fifty percent. It's usually like a fifty-fifty split or something. So you rent, do a five-dollar rental. Um, a buck fifty goes iTunes. A buck seventy-five goes to your distributor. That leaves you with a hundred, a buck seventy-five for every um, rental you make on iTunes or so on. And then you got to think like you need about 900,000 transactions just to break even to cover for the aggregation cost of 1,600 bucks. Um, those are numbers. Um, I actually have seen a lot of other numbers too, where films that have no distribution company they're they're making about maybe a thousand bucks, you know, at, uh, that they're bringing back, you know. So those numbers uh, look alarming, like the the one for Dark Room for like they only made 900 dollars, but um, you'd be surprised. A lot of films are hovering in that sort of thousand to maybe five thousand dollar range that they're they're gaining revenue off of iTunes. So my thing is, well, is there no hope? You know, <laughs> what do we do? Um, you're if you're familiar with Kevin Kelly's famous uh, Thousand True Fans article, um, you know, you can be found on this link, and this and this PDF will be available once we're done with this live hangout on uh, FilmTrooper.com. Um, so the, the idea here is that I think that filmmakers need to create a value that's worth $100 instead of uh, products, you know, not products worth $5. So how do you do that? <clears throat> I go, my solution may be like, maybe our films are nothing more than an advertisement for something bigger, you know, with the same premise that if Hollywood is in the business of exploiting licenses, then perhaps like our films could be something of that. I mean, we might be able to you know earn our money back and make a profit. You know, that could could happen. But the in order to build sort of that sustainable living or that middle class living, we have to create value. I think a hundred bucks and get those thousand true fans. And you know, there's an article that just came out on like on Sherry Candler was sharing it uh, on her community red letter. Red or Letter Media is using uh, Patreon. I don't know if I said that correctly, but it's basically sort of a fan 
crowdfunding or donation site. And that link you can find here. But these guys are just, <clears throat> instead of having a large um, subscriber base, they just had enough of a loyal fan base, a little over like 1,200 fans, that were willing to donate uh, about 100 bucks, 80 bucks to them every year so they can continue doing what they wanted to do, which was these make these more like kind of um, um, very silly sort of style uh, YouTube videos. You know, and, they, and they're providing value to those fans who want them to do that. <clears throat> So their videos are free, they're advertising, what they're doing is they're giving away for free, but because they've uh, built up that fan base, um, allows them to um, ask, you know, to get that donation of 100 bucks. So let's see here. Oh, let's go back. Yeah. Oh, let me click out of here so we can have a little bit of a discussion. Uh, and uh, there I am. So... With a comp the door, it looks great because, you know, you're early on, you can put it to, like, do a film festival run. Um, and film festivals are interesting because they're almost like if you're a rock band, right? It's like you're touring. You know, and I'm sure, if you know, Jennifer, you can attest to us. What was your experience like with Smuggled on the festival circuit and how that helped everything uh, you guys are doing? I think it helped a lot. We, Ramon and I um, ran a film festival for seven years, so I think we had a lot of insight into how to make good decisions regarding film festival submissions and regarding managing festivals. Uh, having run a festival, we saw a lot of people submitted without doing good research on festivals, which means you waste money. Every festival submission costs you the submission fee, the shipping, duplicating the DVD, so we were really smart at films that we thought were similar to ours, and we saw where did they get in. And it, we did comps, basically. We were like, okay, it has to have no-name talent. It has to be about Latino or an issue or something that shows us it's that they would probably like our film. And we only submitted to those festivals. We didn't submit to any tier ones except for one, because those are more expensive and harder to get into when you don't have anyone... Um, involved that's known in some way, so I feel like we were able to use our festival dollars strategically. We also focused on, and Patrick, you can do this because you have great festivals in Canada, we focused on heavily on California festivals because we knew too that you get a better reaction when you're at festivals. You're more likely to get awards, you're more likely to have interactions that are meaningful to get people to sign up to your email list, which is golden as a filmmaker. So we wanted to not spend a lot of money submitting to festivals we couldn't be at and we didn't want to spend a lot of money traveling to festivals. So that allowed us to really take advantage of what we did on festivals. We won five awards, 15 selections, and then when we rolled out our distribution, and that got us some press, NBC Latino covered one of the festivals we were at, and then through that we were able to get ABC and Univision to cover because they saw, oh, NBC Latino covered this film, we should cover it too. So by the time we were at distribution and decided to self-distribute, we had a lot of third-party validation for the project, which I think helped people want to click through and try it out. Also, we largely um, distributed to universities and colleges, so that gave us a lot of validity for professors to be like, okay, I will purchase this film. And again, it's exactly the numbers you were breaking down. I could spend all this time hoping someone's going to download it for $2.99 on Amazon, and then Amazon takes their cuts. And we didn't even do iTunes because of the aggregator fees. Or I can spend time in the academic marketplace where it's $250 per cell because they're getting the licensing so that they can publicly screen it. And then we found the festivals want to bring the filmmaker out, so then they're paying you honorariums 
so it was a much smarter thing. Um, horror films don't have that same option, but it's just looking at what your film and what its options are and really being smart with your film festivals because you know, people all the time submit festivals, films to festivals that have never taken a film like yours. Why would they take yours? <laughs> so it, it's worth doing a little bit of homework to spend your money wisely and try to get the most bang for your buck out of that festival process and then try to pay attention to press during the festival so that you're getting those articles to share about your film you know, during the festivals if you decide to do festivals. Yeah, let me. Hey, Patrick, you, yeah. um, your your stuff looks really good. So I'm, I'm, you know, and have you? I'm assuming you've had past experience with festivals yourself. Is that yeah. correct? Uh, both my first two movies went to uh, separate film festivals. Um, one of them was a very genre-specific film festival in the Lake Michigan area for my first movie, Cycle War. And my second movie went to um, an action film festival called Action Fest, which was actually started by uh, Chuck Norris and his brother. It took place in North Carolina. Um, for this particular movie, we're actually probably not going to go the festival route. Um, part of what we're trying to do here is expand with a new business model for mostly myself as a filmmaker. And part is going to be more of looking to see if there's a way to increase the volume, recognizing that there's less money coming back per product per movie and then trying to see if we can make it up more in volume and actually do two or three or four features a year. Um, and part of that is going to rely on having a faster turnaround as far as cash flow is concerned. So we're looking at more what we can do with really smaller budget movies like this that have hopefully a bit of a built-in fan base by the time we release it and see if we can actually you know, obviously cover the expenses, have a combination between um, revenues coming in from self-distribution as well as any sort of crowdfunding money that we can get and see if we can actually create a really sustainable business model that uh, relies on you know, two to three to four movies a year coming out. And one of the things with a lot of the film festivals that we've done in the past is it just takes up so much time. It just creates such a time lag between you know submitting to the festival three to four or five months before the festival even takes place. You don't know if you get into that festival or not. You know, and it's just not a product that we want to live with for the next six months or a year, a year and a half. Um, also, just for you know, fulfillment as myself as, as a director, I don't want to live with my next movie for the next two to three years before I get behind the camera again. Right. Um, so we're, we're going to sorry, we're going to go to smaller movies, smaller budgets, but more of them. So we're looking to experiment. With. I think I think that's smart, Patrick. I think with genre films, there's a lot of possibility for that too. You know, in horror thriller, I think. The film festival validity means a lot less. Um, yeah. In our case, when we kind of realized the academic marketplace was worth it, I think the film festival thing helped us because professors, they want to see that stuff. So I yeah. think it, the key thing for filmmakers is know your product, know your fan base, know who your audience is, and know what you need to reach that audience. Because I think I, I can see a film like yours not needing to do a festival circuit and, yeah, lose that time mm -hmm. not getting directly to your audience. Exactly, and it's a lot of, um, I mean, for us, knowing the, because I, as a fan of horror films myself, knowing that I don't necessarily watch a horror movie based on film festival laurels, yeah. it's based mostly on, you know, it's the key art, it's the trailer. If I had something that was more um, a documentary or more of an issue-based film, then it is something you're going to have to live with a little longer, travel the country with, you know, as an old-school style carrying the, uh, you know, the print on your arm and going from marketplace to marketplace and building the awareness of it. 
Um, this is more of a popcorn fun. If you like horror movies, you like scary movies, check mm -hmm. it out. You know, look at the trailer and then go for it. And, and directly, you know, even going through Vimeo on demand or VHX and just get selling it directly to our, our website, kind of like what Scott did with Cube, um, and going through more of that route. Yeah, you know what's interesting? I'm going to throw this out to you guys. Um, you know how it's funny, like, your film sometimes is worth more before it's made um, mm -hmm. than when it's actually made? Like, so you see a lot of films and that go through these crowdfunding campaigns, and they, they're successes. And you'll see some, they're, like, raising, like, $100,000 or whatever it is, and then you might forget about it, or you don't even, you know, whenever it gets made, if it gets made, then it comes out, it doesn't feel like, oh, that was it, you know, kind of like... But I'm wondering, because of the numbers I showed earlier, sort of like that real-world, realistic, you know, the cash flow of what these films are, are making online right now, anywhere from like, you know, 25000 to maybe 1000 bucks or something like that, I'm wondering if it might be interesting enough that the next iteration of sort of crowdfunding is that not only do you put in like what you need to make your film, but pad it to say, this is what we need to make our profit. Because you have all this momentum going into it. People are just excited. They you know they see like, oh, we need this much to make the film, and this is sort of the, the profit, and, or whatever it might be. But you know that way, as long as, as long as like, say you make $100,000 to, to make your movie, um, let's say you don't use that hundred thousand. Say you realize that you could you can make it for half that or whatever it is and you and you know, so it doesn't always have to be the however much you make is what you make the movie for. Um, but I'm wondering because if that way filmmakers can um, not worry about whether or not their film is going to perform on any of these uh, digital platforms because they've already done the hard work or the legwork in the thirty day, sixty day campaign. And a lot of the crowdfunding campaigns mirror sort of what online entrepreneurs talk about, which is the product marketing launch. So uh, you'll notice, like online, like certain marketers or business people, they'll they'll do all this buzz over like over a course of 30 days that says, okay, we're selling this product, it's coming out. I'm I'm giving you all this like tidbits, like it's it's happening, it's happening, and then boom. Today's a day. We have our special launch for like three days only. If you get in, you'll get like the discounted rate, and after that, it goes up to full price or whatever it might be. But they build this whole marketing campaign and strategy for these product launches, and they last, you know, about a 30-day chunk or 90 days per month per, per se, and they get these huge um, um, revenue days because you know they'll say, oh, in one day we finally did it. We made like you know, a couple thousand dollars or, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or, you know, two million dollars or something on a, on a launch day. And then they, then they, then they make revenue a little bit here and there, but then they got to do the launch again, uh, re, reintroducing the product out to the market. And I'm wondering if filmmakers could do the same thing if they are using the crowd, they're using the crowdfunding campaigns in the very same way, but if they could just add in the extra cost of like, this is what we predict our estimates in terms of our comps and what we would make online if we sold it, you know, via Netflix or iTunes and so on. So it's really just, not that I've seen anybody do it just yet, maybe they are, but it's not like sort of um, a topic that we're seeing uh, discussed in forums right now, but just something to think about, you know, um, Jennifer, I know that you guys are going to do maybe perhaps do the crowdfunding thing for um, Solitaire, mm -hmm. Solitary, and 
I can tell you that uh, it's interesting having this conversation in my podcast we uh, published here in a few days with Emily Best of Seed and Spark. You know what they're doing over in Seed and Spark is um, essentially trying to create a middle class for filmmakers because they're not just it's not just a crowdfunding sort of campaign or platform that they do there. They they actually do a very interesting way of doing the crowdfunding, which is they force or they want the filmmakers to list out like almost line item like in your budget or what you need. Like okay, we need twenty dollars for batteries. We actually need you know uh, a, a Triton or like a machete. And like if you don't if we can't raise the money, does anybody out there willing to loan us? So her films, they were able to like raise twenty thousand dollars, but they were able to get about a hundred thousand dollars worth of loans because they itemized the number of what they actually needed. So they, she calls it like a wedding registry. So you know, like you, you know, it's but for film, you would say, oh, and you go to Seed and Spark, and and she's got a great video that says this is this is how we do it, and you can see how that's different than uh, the other crowdfunding uh, platforms, which are just. You know, Kickstarter is like either it's all, all, all in one. You make it happen in 30 days or 60 days, or it doesn't happen. Indiegogo says, you know what? You can make it happen, and you can take whatever you get, you you keep. Um, but with uh, Seed and Spark, it's they're trying to nurture this uh, community that if you contribute, you get these Spark points, the uh, Seed and Spark, and then you can uh, that builds up so you can. Um, Watch a bunch of movies that people have made, and they're they're trying to build up this education of um, more successful, like no-name filmmakers, raising enough money to make their film, and then finding direct dis- distribution. And she's working a deal. They're working a deal, I think, with um, some major companies so that it's an own ecosystem. And I think that uh, filmmakers may start looking at that because they might actually break ahead of the pack because they are really niching down to filmmakers where Kickstarter and Indiegogo, you know, are spreading out like you could do tech things, you know, tech startup or, you know, the potato salad thing. Like it kind of goes all over the place just raising money where Seed and Spark is like, no, no, we're trying to create an ecosystem that allows um, sustainable uh, living for middle class filmmakers and a means of distribution, but also a place where they can harness their fan base, not just for the one film, for the other films. So something to look into uh, for what you want to do, Patrick, and yourself, uh, Jennifer, is maybe take a look at Seed and Spark closely, because I know that they're they're pushing to to build that um, community up even further. But also, you know, you've got Indiegogo, so you, you maybe you get your financing funds, Patrick, and you're like, all right, so I kind of get an idea what the comps are. Who's to say you can't do another can crowdfunding campaign as the thing's finished to say, you know, and provide extra value to those sort of fans or the next gen, you know, the next wave of fans, but you almost build in your profit, you know, so that way you're just you're just that's what <laughs> it's funny because I'll tell you something like the way the business um, the tech business guys that I follow they do they do a thing where uh, it's all about pre-sales, so they don't even, they don't come up with the product. All they do is ask a, a certain uh, customer base, like what their biggest problem is. Like, okay, what's you know, like what what things do you do on a daily basis that you have the biggest pain about? And then they write it down and they say, if I created a software that saw There. 
Patrick still, but I think we lost Scott. Are you there? I'm here, yeah, and I can see you. Yeah. Okay, it's, well, I'm sure he'll come back. But yeah. 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 But, um, so where are you going to be going with Seed and Spark for your crowdfunding, or is it going to be Indiegogo or Kickstarter? Um, we're not decided yet. It might be Indiegogo. We're leaning towards Indiegogo. We've just had good interaction with them, um, mm -hmm. mainly because my one question about Stephen Spark, I like a lot of the way they do things, and I think it could work for us, but since we're a web series, I've seen them mainly distributing films, um, and I don't know if they are open to distributing web series, if they care if we're also on YouTube, because one of our goals is to have it be as accessible as possible, so we are trying to actually... Um, earn the living through the production costs and not need to sell it because we want to make it really accessible. Yeah. So I'd have to learn a little bit more about how Seed and Spark works with um, distribution options. Uh, but I, I've been following it a lot, and I think it's really interesting. And I, I love Emily's concepts, and I love mm -hmm. kind of the community she's creating for filmmakers. Yeah. And I think that's what's going to make indie filmmaking sustainable: is having a community of people that get it and support it. Yeah. Um. So. But One of the things, I mean, for, for what it's worth, I've only started, I started my Indiegogo campaign, I think it was late Monday night, and it's my first time using Indiegogo or any, crowd for, or any crowdfunding um, platform. Indiegogo um, was really easy to set up. It doesn't take very long. Mm -hmm. And I, the one or two sort of issues that I had, their customer service is, is really great. They're pretty, they're pretty on, on par with any other crowdfunding um, campaigns that I've heard of. Um, and one of the things is, too, I mean, I think that there's a bit more of a name recognition with either Kickstarter Indiegogo versus Seed and Spark. I think that for indie filmmakers, I think we've heard of Seed and Spark, but when you try to reach out beyond your sort of immediate inner circle, um, there might be a little less um, confidence for people to go to a website they've heard less about. Um, but I think that moving forward, you know, if there is room for a third major player in the sort of crowdfunding series, I mean, it would be Seed and Spark. I mean, what you're doing is pretty incredible. But one of the other things, too, like Scott was mentioning earlier, is the idea of trying to um, raise your sort of per unit price as opposed to, like you said, like a $5 thing, getting closer to like a $100 kind of thing. Because what it comes down to as well is the issues of um, conversion ratios. And if you are selling either either yourself or th through a distributor, it gets to whatever the size of your audience is, what percentage of those audience members are actually going to support you either in a crowdfunding campaign ahead of time or through purchasing your products when it's over with. And the only way you can improve upon that is you either A, get your conversion ratios up and have a very targeted, very highly um, specific market segment that you're going after, or B, increase the cost or the profit margin of your per unit um, product that you're selling. So I mean, I think that the two things that um, Scott was talking about there are pretty interesting, but I think it all of it sort of speaks to the idea that we're living in a day and age where so much is possible, but it just seems like almost nothing is actually working. And I think that we're all just kind of trying to figure out what those business models are and what's going to work together. And I think that the best thing for everybody in the in this sort of sphere, in this sort of indie film world, is to share as much of their knowledge and their experiences as possible. Kind of like what Scott's trying to do here when he's actually here um, on his uh, on his Google Hangout. So, um, but that's what we're looking at. When are you guys looking to go into production with um, with the next one? Yes. 
so we're shooting um we're shooting our pilot episode Monday. Um, okay. Writer director, he's already up there. He drove up with all of our supplies, and I'm flying up Sunday night. Um, so we're shooting Monday, uh, four days to shoot the pilot, and we'll also be making sure we shoot um, pitch video stuff. So if we do a campaign, we can engage people, and um, and then we're also uh, because we realized we did so well in the academic market with Smuggled and that that gave us that higher price selling point. You know, you sell it to a professor, you know, the, the universities are paying 250 they have the budget for it, they actually have the $1,000 budget to have filmmakers come out and do honorariums. That's in their budgets. Yeah. Universities are supposed to improve quality of life for the students. So um, we realized a really smart way to make sure we cover the cost of what we're doing with our um, pilot and to even generate some revenue before we have a series, especially since we want the series to be on YouTube, is to shoot additional footage um, that we can then put into a DVD yeah. and package to the universities. We already have relationships with them now, um, mm -hmm. so we can build on that type of thing and maybe um, you know know that this is something that we can at least count on that because um, we're taking a unique approach to solitary. Uh, the, the project focuses on solitary confinement. We cast an actor who has been in prison, has experienced solitary confinement, one of our consulting producers um, has was in solitary confinement, as was exonerated. So he was in five years, was never even guilty. So um, he has a very compelling story. We went ahead and said, you know what? He's in New York. He needs to be there because that additional bonus footage of talking to him about his experience will make us have something we can market in the academic marketplace. It's not what the audience is going to get into a prison drama. Is not going to care about that. But we're trying to make something for two different marketplaces to kind of maximize our revenue. We're already there. We already have our equipment. We might as well take another couple hours to shoot these interviews, you know, and then cut together something interesting so that we have more ways to market the project. Which I think yeah, every I think film is always trying to find more ways to market.